Um, for the remnant here who was uh, expecting Dr. Young, uh, sorry, you were not informed. Uh, it's me. Uh, my name, if you don't know me, my name is Kyle Jacobson. I am the senior high youth minister here at Grace of Van. And I was told to make two announcements before we started. Um, first off, y'all, I think y'all are, are familiar with these blue cards. It's a very important time in, in our church. This is when we nominate elders. Elders, we are an elder-led church. Uh, so, so this is a very important nomination. And so um, we, I just ask and we ask that you prayerfully consider these texts that are listed out and then uh, think of maybe a few men that, that would qualify for this, this office. And then once you fill it out, there's something called the repository, which to me is such a weird name. Like I feel like that should be some sort of like stomach like medicine or something, but, but it's, it's out there. It's this little box outside the church offices. Fill this out, turn it in, you're done. Um, so that's important. And then also, um, Kevin Weeders is in here, and that's great because you might have questions about this, that's, this thing that's on your table. Um, would you at least look at it and consider it? There, there's a, uh, a, a basketball registration going on uh, here at our church. And so this is all the way from young kids to, to high school kids. And so maybe you have a, a high school student that is not that great at basketball. Here you go. This is for him. Uh, or maybe he is good at basketball. This is for him. Um, you know, like if he just wants to play, uh, he can find a team, play with some friends, and, you know, have a good time. Uh, I see the Lipscombs in here. I think Gurner is ready for this right here, right? Um, so, hey, take a note of this and, uh, and again, invite uh, those who need to be invited or tell those who need to be told about this wonderful opportunity. Again, we're partnering with the Grizzlies, so you get a, what's it, basketball? There you go. I, I told you I would not remember it all. If you have more questions, Kevin Weeders is right there, so please ask him. And then finally, before I get started, I do want to say this. Um, that guy, that young guy up here that was leading us in worship, um, I think the world of that kid, and he's not really a kid, he's, he's a, I think he's 21 or 22, but uh, senior high, the senior high ministry, is a, it's a big uh, endeavor. It's a lot of moving parts. And uh, that guy is the full-time, or full-time, sorry, year-round part-time intern. And uh, his name's Parker Kerstell. And uh, if you, if there are good things going on in senior high, he has a lot to do with it. He really does. Uh, his fingerprints are all over the ministry. The things that are not going well, that's usually my fault. The things that are going well, it's usually because Parker is somehow involved. And so I just wanted y'all to know that. Sometimes it's so easy because you're in here and we're, they stick us on the other side so we don't cause any problems. And so um, just know there's a, some wonderful things going on on that end and Parker's a big part of them. Also, what's going on in junior high with Max and um, with Missy and Chris Mims. Uh, you know, I, when I left that ministry, I, I cared deeply about that ministry, but Grace Evan does too. And so they didn't hire some slouch. Uh, Max is doing a great job. Missy is doing a great job. And Chris Mims is just a wonderful hire that just kind of makes a complete package. And so I feel like our, our middle scores are being ministered to as well as they've ever been ministered to. So praise God for what he's doing back there in our youth departments, back there at the other end of the church. Again, only the people who are hopped on, up on medication make their way back there. And so, um, but there's some good things going on. I promise you that. Um, if you have your Bibles, we open them to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, a very familiar text we're going to read tonight. And um, I've been doing a series in, in senior high talk, talking about the upside down kingdom. And what I've been trying to uh, teach our high school students is that God's value system and this world's value system, they're not even close to being the same. 
It's completely God's value system. A lot of times you see it, it's completely upside down of what this world values. Tonight, we're gonna see something that's very upside down in this world. Uh, What God values, and again, what this world doesn't. Um, And honestly, the statement we're gonna look at tonight, it seems to contradict itself. It seems counterintuitive. It's a paradox. Uh, We're gonna see that, that, we're gonna talk about weakness tonight. And how as believers, as Christians, that we find we're in a position of greatest, our, our greatest strength is, is when we're found, usually we're in a position of great weakness, if that makes any sense. Um, if, again, 2 Corinthians 12, we're going to start in verse 1. This is God's word, so let's pay careful attention to it. And by the way, just to lead us to this point, uh, just so you know what's going on is that Paul, obviously he's writing to a, a letter to the church in Corinth. This is a very difficult church. Uh, he, this is a church that he, Paul loves greatly, but the, the church doesn't seem to love him back as much. And, um, and what's happened in this church is some, something called the, these super apostles, these men who are very gifted, very strong, very eloquent in their speech, very persuasive, have come into this church and have done a, have done a lot of damage. They have done a lot of dis, they have discredited Paul, led the people away from Paul. And so now Paul's put in a very weird position and he's having to do something that he hates doing. And that's defending himself. Paul does not like defending himself, but he's in a position he has to defend himself because again, these super apostles, these, these persuasive, eloquent speakers have, uh, again, they've, they've, they've turned the church away from, from Paul and his teaching. So this is what he writes in chapter 12. I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. Again, he hates boasting. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know of a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. Again, what we see is that Paul is, is given this vision, whether again, in the body, out of the body, he doesn't know, but he gets, he gets taken up to heaven and he hears things and sees things that he's not allowed to share with anybody else. Why does Paul get this opportunity? I, some, one pastor who's pretty smart said that maybe because in his ministry he's facing such trials and oppositions that, that this is just something to help get him through it. Maybe, I don't know, it's as good as anything else I read, so, so we'll take that. But, but again, he's, he's talking about this vision that he has where he gets caught up into heaven, into paradise, and he hears things and sees things that he's not even allowed to talk about. And then um, verse five, on behalf of this man, I will boast, but on my behalf, I will not boast except of my weakness, my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, or would, I, would be, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from boasting, for, sorry, for, so to keep me from becoming conceited, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that that it should leave me. 
But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Did you catch the counterintuitive statements? The statement that seems to contradict itself? It's found at the very last part of verse 10. When I am weak, then I am strong. How? <laughs> that, 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 that doesn't even make sense. How can, how can anybody be strong in weakness? Weakness is weakness, strength is strength. But he says, when I am weak, that is when I am strong. And so that's what we're going to unpack tonight. This, this counterintuitive statement of strength through weakness. And to unpack this in and, and this text, we're going to be mainly focusing on 7 through 20 through 10. Uh, to unpack, unpack this, we're going to do this by asking three questions from this text. Three questions. What is weakness? What weakness does Paul have in mind when he describes this? Because I think people have read this text and taken it out of context just a little bit. So what weakness is Paul talking about when he says, when I am weak, then I am strong? So if that's the first point we're going we're to look at. Then the second thing is, what is God doing? Where is he in the midst of my weakness? And then finally, we're going to see we're going to ask the question, does this statement, does this principle, does this truth actually hold water? Is this true? Are we actually at our strongest when we are at our weakest? Is that actually true? We're going to, we're going to talk about that in the third point. But first, what weakness does Paul have in mind when, he, when he's talking about this weak, these weaknesses? You know, when he goes on boasting here, when he gives his, his, his he, he boasts in a very weird way. He starts boasting about his weaknesses. And the climactic moment of his boasting of his weakness comes in verse 7. That's the climax of the passage is when he says, he says um, in verse 7, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, a thorn was given me in the flesh. So whatever the, the weaknesses he has in mind, it's connected to this thorn. This thorn that is is got to be so terrible because he's gone on and he's listed all the things that's happened to him and this seems like the worst thing. Whatever it is, this is the worst thing. People have speculated over and over again about what is this thorn. Some people think it's it, it must be some sort of physical something or another because it's in the flesh, right? So maybe it's poor eyesight or it's a disability or it's a sickness. Other people have speculated and said, no, no, this has to do with a relationship. It's relational. Because let's be honest with each other. I mean, if, if I was to ask you, when was a moment that you were most hurt, most scarred? I think probably nine out of ten people would point to a relationship that, that just went so bad. And so maybe it's Paul talking about this church in Corinth and these super apostles who have come and, and discredited him and, and just how much pain that is to have a, a people you love so much and a gospel you love so much and to see them walking away from it. Maybe that's the thorn he's talking about. But we do not know. We simply do not know. 
But whatever the weakness is, I think we can, we can find that, that we, we at least have categories for it in verse 10. Whatever the weakness is that he has in mind, we find them in verse 10. Look at it with me. It says, for the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses. Look at this. Here's the categories. Insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Notice what's not in there. And this is important. You don't see anything about sin struggles. Paul doesn't say, well, I've been struggling with lust for years. And uh, it just won't go away. Boy, I wish it would go away. But it won't. Uh, That's not the weakness he has in mind, even though I think all of us in here have some sort of sin of choice, that we long for it. Just what, God, can you just get rid of it? And he won't. Uh, That's for another text, but that is not what this text is talking about. You might want to flip to maybe Romans 7. But that's not what this is talking about. When you think of weakness in this text, do not think of a sin struggle that you can't overcome. And so let me break these up into maybe two different categories. We see that there's hardships and calamities. Um, When you think of the weaknesses that Paul's talking about, think of hardships and calamities. Think of physical injuries. Think of chronic illnesses. Weaknesses with something physical, some sort of physical weakness, some sort of physical disability. Um, Think about... Horrible trials. And think about maybe children that have gone astray and there's zero solutions to get them back on track. No amount of counseling, no amount of pleading has pulled them back on track. They are just gone astray. Think that, that's, that, that's in the list of weaknesses that Paul has in mind. Think mental, mental Ill, illness. I mean, how, much, how many of us in here struggle with depression? We don't talk about that often, but how many of us just wrestle daily with depression or some sort of mental illness that just is crippling and it's hard on our loved ones? And you don't know if it's demonic or if it's something that I need to take a pill for, but, but whatever it is, m- mentally, I'm just a wreck. Think about loved ones who are suffering or loved ones who have perished and loved ones who have passed away. And boy, what a lasting, a lasting pain that is. Somebody that I love lost a a father that he loves and he called me and we talked the other day. He goes, Kyle, I'm having to learn. He's an old football player. I'm having to learn how to play hurt. I love that. I have to learn how to play hurt. I have to live my life, but there's so much pain. Think about job instability going to work, and I'm not sure if I'm going to be let go or not, or just can't find work, or financial burdens that are just crushing. And no matter how many times I do my spreadsheet, and no, my, no matter how many times I visit the accountant, I just can't get free from this financial stress. It's the last thing I think about when I go to bed. It's the first thing I think about when I wake up. It's crippling. It's crushing. Think about a reversal of fortunes, again, that just you're in a spot where you just simply feel hopeless. That's the weaknesses that Paul's talking about. Hardships and calamities, but also insults and persecution. You know, about 10 years ago, I don't think this really applied to too many Americans, right? 
because Christian thought and Christian morality, that was the popular opinion of the day in America, was it not? But what's happened to us over the last five and ten to ten years? All of a sudden, this is a real thing for us. As Christians have been pushed to the outskirts because our morals and our thinking is no longer considered popular, it's now considered evil and hindering progress. So Christians are being pushed to the outskirts and our opinions are not even being heard. We're not allowed to even give a defense for ourselves. We get labeled and stuck with just a big lump of people. And so for those of you maybe who are experiencing insults for righteousness sake, not insults because we're just idiots, you know, that, that we're just, okay, we're, we're, we act like fools, so of course we're going to receive insults. That, that is my life, all right? But, but I'm talking about insults for righteousness sake, for the sake of Christ. Persecution, maybe that's coming our way, and maybe in our lifetimes. Who knows? Only God knows. But not only that, but, but when we think about insults and persecution, maybe you're out there and you just, everywhere you go in life, you just look around and you just don't feel like you add up to, where, to, to who everybody else is. I mean, you walk into room, rooms and you just feel invisible. You, you, feel, you feel weak. You're the type of person that just continually gets trampled on always are feeling less than human. And you go into your meetings and, and, and you sit in your meetings and, 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 and you're just not able to be as eloquent and as, and as good as those others who are work around you so you're disrespected and disregarded and cast off. And everywhere you go, you just like, I just don't add up. I don't, ma- I don't, I don't meet the standard. I'm, I'm lesser. I'm weak. Overlooked overshadowed, unknown, and never really feel quite human. That's the weaknesses that Paul has in mind. Also, betrayal in relationships. Maybe in marriage. Maybe by a friend, but you have been betrayed. And that is such a devastation to your soul. See, we're not talking about sin, but those are the weaknesses. Those are the thorns that Paul has in mind. And when he says thorns, when you talk about a word study on thorns, it's not just a little, those little thorns as you walk through the woods and it kind of pricks you. If you did a word study on that word thorn, you would see that it, it means a, like a tent stake that's driven and impels your flesh. That's the weaknesses that Paul is talking about, which moves us to our second point. Where is God and what is God doing in my weaknesses? If you look in verse verse 7, sorry, verse 8, it says this, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me this harassment from Satan, this this thorn in his flesh. Paul asked God, not once, not twice, but three times he begs and pleads with God to remove this thorn. God, will you please remove this harassment, remove this thorn 
And God says, no. No. And for all we know, Paul lives the duration of his life with this thorn in his flesh. It never leaves. For the duration of his life, he's in an utter state of weakness because of this thorn that will not leave, that God will not remove. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there? You see, I've been a youth minister now for six years. And I have watched, I have watched some of your children go through the unthinkable. I've watched them plead that their parents would stay together. I've watched them plead that God will heal their family. I have pled alongside them and God does nothing. I've gone and visited young little girls in the hospital with broken legs and and paralyzed bodies. And God does not heal. I've watched horrible circumstances of kids coming in and confessing, confessing all kinds of weaknesses, all kinds of sorrows, all kinds of depressions. And we plead with God to remove the thorn and he does not. As a matter of fact, in a lot of these cases, it only gets worse. Have you been there personally? And for some of these students that I've seen, the, the, the pain that they're in right now, it's, it's going to stick with them for the duration of their life here on earth. Where is God and what is he doing? Why is he leaving this, this thorn in our flesh? Well, look with me at the response that, 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 that is given. Verse 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. We all know a definition of grace, right? I don't want to just assume that because we're really good as Christians of saying theological terms and then just shutting off our brains. You know that grace means unmerited favor, right? We deserve divine wrath. Instead, we get divine favor. That's what grace is. Divine favor instead of divine wrath. Now, some of you might be thinking, Kyle, thank you for giving me the basic definition, but you forget you're not teaching little kids right now. You're teaching adults. Um, let's, uh, let's step it up a notch. All right? <laughs> Here's the problem, though, with us a lot of times. It, well, how about just with me? I'm really good at defining words. I'm not really good at seeing how they function in my life. You see, grace is more than a concept. Grace is power. I learned that from John MacArthur. We sing a song around here. I think you know it. It goes, grace, grace, paid for my sins and brought me to life. Y'all know that song? I remember when I first came here, I thought the song moved way too slow. So I was like, come on, can we pick it up a beat? And I, this is, whoa, this is boring. And then I actually looked at the words like, okay, <laughs> I need to repent. Um, it's, become, it's become one of my favorite songs. But you realize what we're singing? Grace, grace, paid for my sins and brought me to life. By God's unmerited favor, my dead heart has been brought to life. I've been given eyes to see and ears to hear. That's power. And then the song keeps going. Grace, grace, close me with power to do what is right. 
I'm able to obey and conform to the image of Christ because of God's unmerited favor. Grace is not just a concept. Grace is power. And I'm conformed. I'm sanctified to the image of Christ. John Piper says this, God's grace does not make our work unnecessary. I love that because sometimes we think grace and who cares about works? Piper says it doesn't make our work unnecessary. It makes it possible. God's grace does not just pardon our failures, it empowers our successes. And then the last part, grace, grace will lead me to heaven where I'll see your face. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that my faith will not fail in this lifetime. Not because I am so strong and I'm such a wonderful minister because I'm far from it. My, great, my, my faith will not fail in this lifetime, and I know that glorification will happen because of God's unmerited favor. Grace is not just a concept, it is power. Grace elects. Grace, by grace, we are called effectually. By grace, we are regenerated. By grace, we are given the gifts of faith and repentance. By grace, we are justified. By grace, we're adopted. By grace, we're sanctified. By grace, we will be glorified. And here in this text, we see that by grace, we will be sustained in the midst of darkness. Our souls will survive the storm because of God's unmerited favor. His grace is enough. It is power enough to sustain me. It is sufficient to help me survive. His grace is powerful enough to sanctify me with the the thorn in my flesh. His grace is enough. It's never in short supply. It's an overflowing ocean. And so for us who are in the midst of darkness, and let me tell you this, because he says he gives us grace, that does not mean that the circumstances have changed or that the darkness has lifted or my soul even feels like singing. It simply means that is sufficient in weakness to keep me from fail, my faith from failing and to, yes, even sanctify me to the image of Christ. What is God doing in my weakness? He's giving sufficient, abundant grace. And one quick thing, just as an application point for those who might be in darkness right now, Do not neglect the means of grace, meaning the channels, the pipelines through which God's grace flowed to us. Means of grace, meaning prayer and God's people and God's word. Those are the channels through which God's grace grace flows to us. So don't neglect those in the midst of darkness, but let's move on. Point three, how is this principle true that God's, that I, when I am weak, that is when I'm strong? Look with me in verse seven, because Paul says something twice. He says this, so to keep me from becoming, what's that word, conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation. So Paul has seen heaven. He has seen things that he's not even allowed to speak about. That is a very vulnerable spot for Paul to be in because he's now in a place where he could be pretty proud, Right? 
And so because he's seen this heavenly revelation and he's vulnerable to religious pride, a commentator says this, against that possibility of pride, God has pinned Paul to earth with this thorn. You see, he's, to keep from becoming conceited, for, to keep from becoming proud, he's given this thorn. Guys, listen to me, as a Christian, humble dependence is a place of strength. Self-sufficiency is a place of danger and of weakness. That is why when he is weak, he is the most strong. Because, you know, for some reason, why, I do not know. But I have to be made weak in order to rely on Christ. For some reason, when I am in places of strength, I can, I can be conceited. I can become proud and self-reliant and puff myself up. But it is in weakness that I find myself humbly relying on God. We know that God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. So we want, if we want grace, humility is the avenue to grace. God, though, resists the proud. So that's why, that's why when I am weak, that is why I am strong. Because I find myself in a place of humble dependence on our God. The greatest place of strength for a Christian. It's the way we were created to be before sin ravaged us. But not only that, and I'm almost finished here. When we think about power made perfect in weakness, think about just through scripture real quick. You know, Moses, he, he, he really couldn't talk that well. So God tells him he goes to talk to Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world. Um, David, he's the youngest. And God chooses him to lead his nation, his people. Gideon had too many men, so we have to cut that down, Right? The disciples, they, they were pretty uneducated, right? Pretty unimpressive. How about the Apostle Paul? A very unimpressive Jewish man. God calls him to go minister to the Gentiles. Why? Because in all those situations, do we not agree that nobody sits back and says, wow, aren't, aren't you so special and so powerful and so strong? People are blown away by the power and the grace of God that is evidently at work in these people who are utterly weak. Power made perfect in weakness. Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, you know he, he wrestled greatly with depression. And Paul, Charles Spurgeon said this, the greatest earthly blessing that God can give to any of us is health. With the exception of sickness. Tim Keller probably one of the biggest voices we have in our circle. You know he made a C in his preaching class? And not only that, but as I think about the youth group that God's allowed me to minister to, do you know where, where I see the most, where God's power and God's grace are most evidently on display in our room most Sundays and Wednesdays? It's with a little girl, a young teenage girl who has to roll herself in with a wheelchair every Sunday and Wednesday, who's been unable to walk for about five years, coming up, I think, on January 10th. And when I see her, I see sufficient grace and the power of God resting on her, unlike any 
teenager that comes walking and leaping and jumping into our room. You remember the Kerstell family? His son just sang up here. By the end of Chris Kerstell's life, he couldn't do hardly anything. Yet for me, and watching his family, God's grace and his power was on such display through a man who was not able to do a thing. See, God's, God uses the weak to bring himself glory. God uses the weak to demonstrate his power and his grace. So listen to me. You might think you're broken, and you might think you're damaged. And you might think even you're useless because of your damage and your brokenness. But I would tell you it's the exact opposite. That God does not work around our weaknesses. He actually works through our weaknesses. As a matter of fact, men, if you're in a place where you realize and you understand how weak you are, you're the men, the man that I am wanting and hoping gets the office of elder. Yes, it's true that, that, that when I am weak, that is when I'm strong. And is there no better display of this than, than Jesus Christ himself? You remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? He prays not once, not twice, but three times that God would remove the cup. And God says, no. And Jesus didn't have a metaphorical thorn in his flesh. He had literal thorns mashed into his head and literal, literal nails driven through his hands and his feet. And his enemies mocked him as he hung on the cross in utter powerlessness, mocking him, saying, he saved others, he can't save himself. And in the moment of Jesus' most, in his weakest moment, in his weakest moment, the greatest victory this world has ever known was being accomplished. The greatest victory, the greatest glory was happening in utter weakness utter helplessness, pinned to a cross, unable to get off. That's when God's glory was on most display. That's when Satan's sin were being defeated. That's when my salvation, where my salvation was being purchased, was not in power, but in utter weakness. Weakness was the way for our Savior, and Christian weakness is the way for us. We are a people, unfortunately, this is a strong group by worldly standards. We have money and resources. I don't care if you think you're at the bottom end of this church. Like that puts you in the top percentile in the world. I'm included in that. We have money and resources and, and beauty. We are a, a group by world standards. We are strong. And we are in such a vulnerable position before, because of that. That is a spiritual disadvantage for us. I really believe that. So we should get on our knees and thank God for thrusting thorns in our flesh because I do not need to be self-dependent. I do not want to be proud. And the thorn in the flesh is God's way of cutting out that, that sneaky cancer known as pride. And so, this might be some Baptist roots coming out in, out, out in me. And so, you're welcome. But, uh, but I do want to do this. 
you know, I was praying with a group of, uh, we have a senior leader thing and uh, senior high leader, leaders and there's a girl as we were praying and she said something like, I was saying, hey, pray for something you're thankful for. And she says, oh, she started praying. It's blown away. She said, God, thank you for making my day-to-day life really difficult uh, because that's how I know you love me. If it wasn't for that, I think I would go astray. I would I'd be self-reliant, self-dependent. So, so thank you for the difficulties and the struggles I have in my life. I think that's an action point for us tonight to meditate and think about the thorns in our flesh. I don't care if it's a little needle or if it's a huge stake, a tent stake that's been driven into our flesh. I just want to take moments because we're so busy and we can rush out so quickly. But to intentionally thank God for loving us that much that he would see fit to give us a thorn. Only an all-wise, all-loving God could do that. And so let's just do that for, for a moment. And I'll close this in prayer. And I realize that could be awkward. It might be a little quiet in here. But that's okay. Nobody has to stand up. Nobody has to talk out loud. Just, just to yourself. Just thank God for what he's doing in our lives and our weakness. Father, we, uh, we thank you um, because you alone are deserving of praise. You have given us everything. Everything we have come, has come from your hand, life, breath, everything. And including these weaknesses and these thorns in our fleshes that we would never ask for, we would never want because they hurt. They're painful. They leave us in darkness and we're confused and and we walk with limps, and, and we have to play hurt. We try to walk around these hallways trying to hide and conceal how much we really hurt. But we take a moment just to tell you thank you because you, you have given those things to us um, for our good and your glory. We thank you for the reminder we have in Christ that, that yes, salvation was purchased, power was made perfect, by Christ hanging utterly powerless from a cross. Would that be our example? Would that empower us? And Father, we thank you for the, uh, the grace, the sufficient grace you give us. Without it, we would, we would run away. We would curse your name and we would go, we would just, we would, just, <laughs> we would not repent, we would, we would turn away and, and never return but your grace is sufficient and we give you praise for that. Would you give grace to those who come in here tonight, Father, with a limp, with, who are utterly in pain? 
would you draw near to them now? We long for your presence. We want to be a people that are humbly dependent on you. So would you allow that to take place? Use us, Father. Use us for your glory's sake. Our lives are short. And so we want, to, we want you to use them up for your glory's sake, for eternal purposes. We love you. We ask for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thank you all for letting me be with you tonight. Um, I think Dr. Young will be back next week. So um, no, more, no more deception, all right? He'll be here next week.